Welcome to All About Data on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jory Heckman. Thanks for joining me this week on All About Data, a conversation with chief data officers and the people who are making data work better in government. On today's episode, we have a discussion on defense cyber strategies in a zero-trust world with data doing some of the heavy lifting on zero-trust. My guests are Chris Cleary, Principal Cyber Advisor for the Department of the Navy, and retired Colonel Michael Anderson, Chief Strategist for Informatica Public Sector. Now let's cut to the conversation the three of us had in person back in October. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me here. Zero Trust, a lot to dive into, but let's maybe start at the beginning, something that's going to be relevant throughout the conversation. The five pillars of Zero Trust. Data seems to be one that is maybe not talked about as some as much as some of the others. The others being, of course, identity, device, network environment, and application workload. Why is data such a foundational element to zero trust, and how essential is it to getting it right from the jump? Sure, you're looking at me, so I'll jump into that. Sure, first. sure, uh, Michael, thank you, you for, that. for that for that question. Um, I'd be interested to hear Chris's comments too. But yes, five pillars, and you listed them and. Data seems to be that one. If you look at at least uh, uh, DHS CISA's uh, Zero Trust Maturity model, it's over on the right. And as you listen to some of the initiatives, efforts, projects, um, and budget associated around Zero Trust, data is given lip service. But when you dig down a little bit deeper, it doesn't seem to be the focus of a lot of these efforts. But I think at at its foundational levels, Data is a key component of that because I like to say, and we've heard this before, not to use a cliche, but data really is the the crown jewels of whether it's the Department of Defense or another federal civilian agency. It's really what the whole program is wrapped around to protect because data, the exfiltration of data um, to adversarial elements, whatever those may be, is uh, one, one of the primary reasons, if not the primary reason, why we're all after this zero trust architecture to begin with. So I think it's uh, critical that as we go forth and these task forces are stood up, whether you're at OMB or at the Department of Defense, that um, the model is looked at holistically. And and I do know the model's a little bit different with DOD. I think there's seven pillars. And then there's a new strategy coming out soon um, uh, under Randy Resnick's uh, group. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, the the strategy component is, is, is there is foundational uh, uh, to the overall effort. And that, that data pillar, uh, data is not something new that uh, hasn't been addressed previously in other types of documents and stuff, right? There's mm-hmm. stuff at the federal level and the department level. There's a lot that can be leveraged that's already happened with that data pillar that's very similar to other efforts to get, their, get, to get arms around data management at a large agency or department like defense. And so um, that can be leveraged and integrated with the other four. But um, so far what I've seen is the focus on primarily maybe uh, identity and access management, device security, multi-factor authentication. Yes, that's all important. But at the end of the day, if you took that one pillar of data and you just laid it horizontally instead of vertically, it, it crosses all those other four. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be paid attention to and should be looked at iteratively as an approach versus sequentially, you know, do one, then two, then three, then get to the networks and the application. No, data's got to be considered throughout. Just a couple thoughts from my end, thanks. All right, Chris. Yeah, Michael hit all the, you hit all the best talking points for data coming out of the gate. Um, it, you know, when we looked at security in general, 
Um, and really, you know, and, and I'm, I'm sort of advocating and championing uh, my peers in the, in the Department of the Navy, Aaron Weiss is the CIO, Tom Sasala, who is our chief data officer, uh, who really the lion's share of this sort of falls at their feet uh, mm-hmm. to execute. Uh, you know, from a data standpoint, yes, we have a data strategy that, that, that's inbound. Um, we are now moving towards a zero trust architecture. And I think if you look at the why behind a lot of this, so what the principal cyber advisor does, we're sort of advocating again for security, for security, for war fighting, for the way we're going to kind of operate in this environment. And when you look at the different security models that we've had over time, uh, our adversaries have gotten good. You know, we started with, you know, firewalls and we moved to, you know, comply to connect. And now we're moving into a, a zero trust uh, mindset, which is really because we understood uh, it got harder and harder to keep the adversaries from getting to what they want. And at the end of the day, what they want is the data. Uh, the data is, is the fuel oil that drives all of this, right? It's, you know, there's no sense having a computer system if I don't, you know, if I can't trust the information or get access to the information or somebody else has access to the information, uh, you know, what are we all doing here then? Mm-hmm. Uh, so as we focus on data, I, I, you know, not to, to, you know, buzzword bingo, um, but data has become just another buzzword. You know, mm-hmm. what kind of data? Uh, you know, I think one of, the, one of the core definitions of data is, uh, is it just the digitization of information? You know, at the end of the day, it's just the ones and zeros packing bass and forth. Uh, you put those together, they form information, they form video, they form audio, they form, you know, uh, uh, targeting information. You know, all the things that live in that, in that uh, bucket how do we identify all these things? How do we how do we protect certain things at certain levels? Uh, does, is all data treated equally? Mm-hmm. Um, I speak to Tom Sasala quite a bit about this. Uh, he is certainly uh, pulling his hair out to one degree or another because it is a challenging thing. It is it is basically the newest of all these sort of security and data uh, discussion points we've brought to the table. Um, and because it's gotten so much so much attention so quickly, uh, I mean, just think of the creation of the the chief data officers. You know, that was, uh, we've always had chief information officers, we've always had chief information security officers, and now we're creating a whole new discipline um, for individuals that are specializing specifically on data, which is just going to open up a whole new, you know, I don't want to say can of worms, whether it be industry, whether it be the way we focus on it, Mm -hmm. um, whether it being just new people that bring uh, an equal level of attention or an equal level of weight for their subject um, into this arena that covers so many uh, different disciplines. So we'll going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, yeah. Well, while we're unpacking the kind of the policy uh, landscape here, you know, I think looking back to like about a year ago with the DOD's uh, data decrees, that of course is data for many different end goals, but I imagine it's probably going to have to overlap somewhat to zero trust as well. Chris, just staying with you for a moment here, how do those data decrees over at DOD inform what's, what's happening with zero trust? That is a great question, and I, I think not to not to maybe hit the same talking point is it's just that it zero trust was basically initiated to protect the data because we found it hard that doing this sort of perimeter view of you know walls and and, and different challenges or authentications that you need to do to get to the data uh, it was it was harder and harder to protect it. So really, at the core of zero trust is just that you know how do I protect um, unwanted users, unwanted systems from accessing. Um, information and I think those two things will really come together uh, because as you continue to build this zero trust architecture, you have to be working hand in glove with the people that own this information because mm-hmm. um, they have to 100% have an equal seat at the table to ensure that the ways that we're the ways the way that we're going to go about doing this is sort of uh, in alignment with the way that they're going to be architecting their data um, environments. 
Just to add to what Chris said, uh, uh, you, you're referring to the Kathleen Hicks memorandum. Mm -hmm. I think it was maybe early last year when yeah. that came out on the data decrees. I think it it absolutely supports and, and can integrate into this entire effort across the board with zero trust. Um, if you know, I don't recall everything in the memo, but I do recall some very basic foundational data data principles, right? That uh, that the the department. Department of Defense was going to leverage data as a, as a strategic asset. But to do that, there had to be a heck of a lot more data collaboration and sharing mm -hmm. while still embedding basic cybersecurity principles in that data. You know, who needs to see what, when, um, and making sure that's there, but as well, just knowing what data is out there. Um, you, you know my background, you introduced uh, me and in, in, in my time I spent in uniform, and one of the things that's hammered into you from the beginning is uh, if, if, you're, if you're doing any type of plans, whether at the tactical, operational, strategic level, you've got to know yourself first. Before you even start talking about your adversary and what they've got lined up and what they're thinking and their plans are, you've got to know what your resources are, uh, what your readiness is, what your logistics are. With data, it's, it's not unsimilar. You've got to know yourself first. What data do you have, number one? I've got to know what I have because if you don't know what you have and you haven't discovered it across your environment, and that includes all of the Department of Defense, how do you ensure it's all labeled, categorized, and then prioritized for the cybersecurity folks so you, so you know what's important and what's not? And then once you know that and you know yourself, then you can go and uh, put together the policy and then the, both from a data standpoint and a security standpoint about the workflows of that data. Where does it go once it's created? And as you know, Chris, new data is created. I, I won't even get into exabytes and terabytes and zettabytes. It's just big data, right? Let's just label it big data. But it's created every day. So you can't just every month do a batch. Hey, this is my new data I've created from all the applications across the department. It needs to be a continuous thing. And so you need to know what that data is. You need to have a way to, to automatically identify when that new data is created so it's discovered. So then you can start labeling and categorizing it, which is a key component of Kathleen Hicks's data decrees, as well as that data pillar you mentioned earlier that's a part of Zero Trust. Mm -hmm. We're speaking with Chris Cleary, Principal Cyber Advisor for the Department of the Navy and retired Colonel Michael Anderson, Chief Strategist for Informatica Public Sector. We're going to take a short break, but we'll continue our conversation when we return. I'm Jory Heckman, and you're listening to All About Data on Federal News Network. about data. We're speaking with Chris Cleary, Principal Cyber Advisor for the Department of the Navy and retired Colonel Michael Anderson, Chief Strategist for Informatica Public Sector. Chris, I'm just kind of curious over at the Navy in terms of that, that automation piece, in terms of that AI piece, the kind of next level data stuff that's going to be necessary to do all of this. Where's the current state of that and where's, where are things looking over the horizon here? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, so when you talk about, so, so, the, so the Navy is certainly, uh, and, and the Marine Corps, so the Department of the mm -hmm. Navy, so are, are certainly adopters of the way that we're, of, of, you know, artificial intelligence is something we acknowledge uh, we have to begin to invest in. Um, machine learning, all that, again, we're back into the buzzword, you know, bingo of how we do this. Um, why are we doing those things? You know, we look at building a Navy, 
Uh, what's interesting is, is we've acknowledged that this idea of sort of going into a smaller, uh, more autonomous, attributable systems um, that will augment uh, the way that we have built massive shipbuilding programs, right? Mm -hmm. Submarines cost a lot of money. Surface ships cost a lot of money. Aircraft carriers cost a lot, a lot of money. Um, are there ways that we get to augment that with you know, smaller, attributable systems? But then when you start building those things, how are you going to operate? Just the data going in, in between uh, you know, main bases, mother stations, you know, the ways that we communicate on an aircraft carrier, let's say the MQ-25 refueling drone, just the gobs of information that are going back and forth between those, those two platforms are to themselves almost you know, mind-boggling. Uh, you know, how much of it needs to be stored? How much of it needs to be, you know, readily available? Um, can it just be lost after the fact? Do I, do I need to keep any of it, any of the telemetry data? Can we just, every so often, just dump it because it's no longer relevant or important? Uh, so as we begin to struggle with those things, you know, the networks that are going to push this stuff around, you know, most principally in the Navy, what makes the Navy and the Marine Corps, uh, you know, a unique environment is most of the operations we do are at sea, mm -hmm. which means you get into your detail considerations, you know, denied degraded, uh, limited availability networks. Uh, so how do I, I can't kill things with information if I'm bandwidth constraint. Mm -hmm. What is the most important, you know, ones and zeros that needs to travel on very um, resource constrained uh, devices uh, that move things from satellite, from ship to ship, uh, and all of the above. It, again, the Navy is really struggling with this, but there are organizations that have stood up to, to look at all these problems. Mm -hmm. Great examples. I love it. What you were describing, in my mind, I hear the Internet of Things, right? And everybody knows mm -hmm. that buzzword. The Internet of Things for the DOD is sensors. And the innumerable sensors you have out there, not only from a mission and a tactical perspective, but you're out there with sensors and cybersecurity tools, collecting that, bringing it back to whatever, a big data platform or something, so you can assess, analyze, and look at trends, et cetera, and then get an idea of what the adversary is coming after. But this, this whole sense of Internet of Things and, and sensors, we're talking about, you know, we're talking about streaming data. So mm -hmm. if you're going to have streaming data, there's no way to manually affect and control the workflows that you mentioned as that stuff comes in. Where does it go? Who is it routed to? Who's an owner of that data versus a stakeholder? Got something to say about it? And who's a, con a raw consumer of it? And you don't want that consumer, the mission folks, being delayed because of manual processes or having to figure out what can be thrown away, what's important, what's higher, and what's lower. So um, I think absolutely what we're getting at there, and, and the industry is capable of providing that today, and, and are to, some, to a lot of DOD uh, um, elements and components, is, is automating that process of that streaming data. You can set up policies, you can set up all the rules and regulations you want, but to, do, to try to manually control that is going to slow things down too much for those consumers who need it at the edge or in the Pentagon if it's something that the Pentagon is doing. But being able to do that and automate that flow of data and control its usage to who needs it when and in a timely manner, you know, take care of, hey, we've got to consume this data, we've got to analyze it, assess it, do something with it, but at the same time meet zero trust principles is key. You're only going to do that with capabilities that bring that automation to bear um, you know, out of the box. So just a few thoughts. Yeah. We'll just throw this out here that the automation side of things, it's obviously a two-way street, right? Because the opportunity side of things, you know, you're getting the right data in the right hands at the right time, and that's great. But on the threat side of things, you know, automation's driving the speed of those threats faster. And, you know, in terms of playing defense, it, 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 it's a trickier proposition, I imagine, as well. So 
Chris, you know, I know that you, you said kind of at the beginning here that you know, the threat's always changing, the threat's always evolving. How do you stay on top of it all? Well, that's a whole, we could do a whole hour on that, on that question. Um, so I, I used to work at, uh, at a telecom for a period of time, and there was a gentleman there who had this great saying, and he used to say, um, Mother Nature is not a maneuvering adversary. Right? We, would big t- we would build telecom environments to su- survive a hurricane, and if they did, we could quickly reconstitute. Or when we had um, the tsunamis in the Indian and the Pacific Ocean, and it broke a bunch of, of lines, we know how to quickly repair. But the, a lot of the, the, the networks were self-healing, right? Mm-hmm. Mesh layers and mesh technology, and we, you know, it, we, places would find their way to reroute information. Well, I think when we start moving from sort of resiliency into survivability, uh, one of the biggest things, one of my biggest concerns is the, is the, is the PCA, is, is not only much the security of the information. Obviously, we don't want that information getting into other hands. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you get into the point where it's the availability of that information. So we, you know, zero trust does not necessarily uh, ensure availability of information, which can ensure that people are not getting to the information, but there's other ways to degrade the information and the data from flowing around, um, you know, writ large. Mm-hmm. So... When we get into sort of constrained environments, you know, I'll use the at-sea environments again. Uh, a lot of times at sea, the way we push information around is the way that those ships are targeted. You know, we release, uh, you know, signatures and signatures. We communicate with things. That's, you know, adversaries use their ability to, to target uh, those signals um, to locate or geolocate our ships at sea. You know, so there's some instances where we might not be able to push stream data around mm-hmm. um, or move large buckets of it. Uh, but the availability is one of the things that concerns me the most. And I think when we get into, uh, you know, when we move through the, the competition continuum, right, all the, the new set of buzzwords, the, the newest set of buzzwords, <laughs> uh, you know, competition, crisis, and conflict. Uh, and I think what we're seeing, if you look at, you know, like the Ukraine is certainly in conflict. They're in a shooting war uh, to include a missile strike on Kiev just over the weekend. Um, yeah. We in the, in, the, in the U.S. could argue we are somewhere in the, you know, competition certainly, uh, uh, crisis maybe, right? And you could argue in the, a lot of the things that we see in the cyber domain, you might say, hey, we're in crisis in the cyber domain. We're not in, we're not at, we're not at, uh, in a shooting war in cyber necessarily, uh, but we are certainly, you know, mixing up with adversary on a, on a regular basis. Um, and it's things, new, new ways that we're looking at uh, Solving the problem, again, zero trust being the one that's the most uh, talked about right now, mm-hmm. uh, will gain a lot of attention, and it's certainly gaining a lot of attention in the Navy. I know I'm sure there'll be some certain questions that get into some of this more specifically. Uh, I'll save my powder for, for, uh, for later in the, in the talk. But uh, I'm just going to continue to say, you know, the adversary gets a vote. And we have very well-resourced, dedicated uh, uh, adversaries that have, you know, significant programs built up around uh, continuing to find ways to access this information. Michael, we left, we punted over to you at, before the break here just to get some rebuttal here in terms of the, the opportunities and also the challenges with Zero Trust. Let's focus a little bit more on the challenges and the risk and everything associated there. How can, you know, we heard from, from Navy, of course, but how can, you know, federal more broadly stay on top of these challenges in an automated world? Sure, thanks. And I was taking copious notes uh, as Chris <laughs> was talking because he, he put out a lot of great information. Each one could probably be a 15-minute conversation in itself, right? Mm-hmm. But if you look at, um, again, I know that the DOD approach to Zero Trust is a little bit different than DHS CISAs, but that was kind of established, established as, the, as the baseline for the government, and DOD kind of flows from it and then adds a little bit, um, like it usually does, right? 
uh, it's not FedRAMP, it's FedRAMP plus, right? Or it's not this strategy, it's that plus. And, and that's fine because DOD's um, in, in its unique mission. But if you look at, let's just take a microcosm of DHS CIS's uh, zero trust maturity model, there's six functions within that data pillar you mentioned earlier. Inventory management, access determination, encryption, visibility, and analytics, automation and orchestration and governance. So I think what Chris was getting at was that one component of uh, automation and, and orchestration, right? So whether it's the Navy, Army, Air Force, you name it, the, the combatant command, um, that data uh, uh, coming in, the workflows, the associated roles-based access to that data, especially at the mission and the tactical edge, uh, has to be automated and, um, and, and again, in, in a timely manner, right person, right time. However, any one individual consumer of data probably doesn't need to, for whatever reason, see all of the data produced, right? Maybe the metadata, um, important to that too, is a, is a common glossary, a dictionary. What data is what? What does it mean? And then you can put those policies and automate access to that data as well as, hey, yeah, you can see everything in this warehouse or this lake, et cetera, to do your mission, but we're going to take out some of that data you don't need to see that might be very, very sensitive. Uh, on the commercial side or in the federal agencies, we're talking about stuff like uh, personal health information, PII, et cetera. It's a little bit different in DOD depending on classification levels and the access that person has. You can mask that data. You can automatically, through policies, once you have a common understanding of you know, what the definition of a data set is, um, how it's labeled and categorized, um, then you can control access to that. And you can also just mask some of that data that's coming down to that consumer based on what they need to know or see. So uh, on the commercial side and in uh, other federal agencies, that's a pretty common approach to, yep, there's a lot of data there. Yes, we need to democratize that data for everyone to use, whether through an application or directly through an AI tool. But maybe they don't need to see everything in that table or in that, um, that data warehouse. And so automating that process through policies, once a common governance is established for that data across the board, whether it's cybersecurity mission use that focuses on data or something else uh, in Chris's lane, I think that's a key component in the foundational baseline. So I just wanted to, that automation and orchestration piece that's a function of that data pillar, I think is some of the stuff Chris was talking about, and very critical and important to being able to leverage data at the mission level. Thanks for listening to All About Data on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your favorite podcast app. Search for All About Data on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows.